You pierce the darkness with the fiercest light. Welcome back to the Neon Woman podcast. Season 2 is finished. Although, I do have two bonus episodes coming for you. One this week and one next week. My bonus guest for season 2 this week is Tracy Lamore. Tracy is a high-profile, international award-winning publicist. She's been featured in Rolling Stone, NBC, The Huffington Post, and other media around the world. She's the founder and managing director of Lamore Media Incorporated, and she's the winner of the Universal Women's Network 2020 Woman of Inspiration Award. She's also an author of the book Get Repped, Build Your Brand with Effective Public and Media Relations. Tracy joins me to discuss her origin story, her journey as a publicist, PR 101, but also her 20-year campaign that ultimately helped free an innocent man on death row, which garnered her major media attention and is just an incredible story. Absolutely loved chatting with Tracy. Her story is inspirational and empowering, and I really hope everybody enjoys it. Here is our conversation. Tracy Lamore, welcome to the Neon Woman podcast. We're finally doing it. <laughs> Great. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. I always like to start with a question that I like to ask everyone, which is, you know, we're all known for what we do in the world, but who are you aside from what you do? Who is Tracy aside from, you know, what you do for work? Yeah, and it's funny because that kind of grew as a nat- the work that I do grew as a natural progression of the activist work that I was doing. And by work, I mean, you know, activist stuff I was doing. So the work of my heart that I did for no pay for a long time with me and my husband was, you know, we did a lot of anti-racist stuff. We did, you know, um, and for then through that, we found out about this man named Jimmy Dennis, who was innocent on death row in Pennsylvania. Nobody was talking about him. And we were the ones, you know, like kids, hey, we'll make a difference. We'll make a website. We'll learn to tell people. And literally, it was that, it was a 19 19- year journey which really 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 truly shaped our lives for a long time and it wasn't until you know far into that journey just a few years before he got out that you know so I wrote my first press release for for him and then you know progressively for years and years on that issue um when I was 28 that's how I learned to kind of manage media I never thought about it doing it for a job or taking those skills until I was 41 when now I'm 51 and that's when I started freelancing and then you know from there you google me international publicist blah 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 but that actually wasn't something that I went to to make a living like it literally developed you know like a light bulb one moment when I was like hey <laughs> You know, nobody because I wish I could remember what I was thinking right before that, but I realized that nobody knows how to access the media. Most of us don't have a voice in the media because we just don't even know how to be heard. And so I had learned how to do that 
you know, break, break those barriers before it was even easier than it is now. Like now there's a, now it's almost confusing. There's so many ways to reach out in so many different media. It's almost a new game, but yeah. So it's, you know, it, I, it's hard for me to separate what I do for work, which I love. I wake up and I literally start answering, I, you know, my clients or my friends, some people hire me, they're doing like world shaking things, like working with stuff on, with Af women in Afghanistan the week before everything literally blew up there. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, so stuff like that, it's hard to separate my work, you know, that I sit down and get paid to, to do my little cog in the wheel of setting this to media from the stuff that I literally was I cared about 20 years ago that I care about now that I talk about with my daughter in the backyard and stuff. So I'm, I guess I'm privileged that, you know, there is no real work-life balance for me, which some people would say is bad, but in a way, I mean, I love every moment of every day. I can't complain. If you love it, why not? <laughs> right. So. so talk to me a bit about your origin story. Like, where did you grow up? Did maybe your childhood influence your activism you. and what you ended up coming to do? For sure. So I was born in Ottawa, which is the capital city of Canada. Not the biggest city, but the capital. It's the international city where all the parliament buildings are. And we're proud to say the nation's capital. And then when I was 10, I, I moved to Toronto, which is the biggest city in Canada. We call it, it's, I call it diversity. It's one of the most diverse cities in the world. And I was privileged to grow up in that environment because, um, uh, you know, I, I got, I, you know, all those influences, all that culture, all those friendships from all over the world, all that knowledge, everything. So that was definitely a huge part of my upbringing and where I grew up. And, uh, but I just, I didn't go to university. I just went to, you know, I took college school and went through high school, was a little bit of a writer. Um, and that was it. Yeah. So in terms of influence, I was a huge, my friend Yolanda, who died, you know, when I was 35, but was my best friend for 25 years, who used to write on her binder, by the way, and we don't know where this came from. No one dies till the last one on earth ceases to speak their name. So whenever I can say her name, I say Yolanda. But anyway, my friend Yolanda, she got me into the Beatles. And this is in 1980. So it was like, you know, much years after the Beatles. But it's a John, you mentioned influences. So John Lennon ended up being a huge influence in my life huge and I said for a year even as an adult that he was the single greatest influence in my life not just because he was a good musician or whatever but because I, I specifically remember him saying don't you know because as an activist I remember him saying in a quote somewhere don't follow us you know don't follow leaders if you think we're doing something great you know great join us but if you have an idea we'll follow you basically telling you get off you know do get off your butt and do things too and I internalized that really young so I started doing things and they were successful like active activist things so that gives you the confidence that you have a voice and to keep doing it so I kind of blame John Lennon <laughs> yeah I mean were your parents kind of the activist people did you no. get it from them no no my dad was, I mean my, my dad was a huge reader and my mom was, you know, a power woman in her own right in terms of business. You know, she, she ended up being a single mom. She never left, you know, she was, was learning English. She is now, actually. I shouldn't say no, because she is more of an activist now when she got older and was able to more engage. But at the time when I was growing up, she was a single mom working hard to be in the 80s, that power woman, which wasn't as easy as it is now. So she was working to fight. <laughs> and my dad was always a reader and you know history so I guess you know like they were both very intelligent people but no they had never really turned they were proud of me when I was doing that stuff but in the way you're still kind of like oh yeah my kid you know they also would my dad especially would was like I remember him saying oh if you spend you know as much time as you do on this activism stuff when I was 30 he said you know you would be a millionaire by now and I remember thinking at the age 30 going yeah yeah, you're probably right, because I did spend a lot of time, like, we'd come home five hours a night, we would do, that's why I was successful, and that's why we got all that media attention, and that's why, 
ultimately it helped free Jimmy, right? But my dad, as a parent, you know, I have a 28-year-old now. I could see that. Oh, come on. You know, if you would put, but I'm glad that I spend that, you know, my time in my 20s and 30s doing that. Jimmy Dennis was ultimately freed. He's a free man now, releasing music. I said in a podcast yesterday, for 20 years, I would be saying, please help us save his life. Please go to whatever website, do a petition. Now I can just say, available on all streaming platforms, got a new song released on his birthday in two days. You know, so it's a pleasure to be able to say that. And that's a good way to have spent my 20s and 30s. And now, interestingly, in a trajectory I never would have thought of, I thought of ways to turn some of the skills into business. And now I'm doing pretty well. So there you go, dad, you can do both. Yeah, amazing. (laughs) So talk to me a bit about your journey to get from kind of activism into PR. And we'll get into the Jimmy story as well down the track. Um, so the journey, yeah, so basically I was, you know, tw- like I said, 28 at the time when I wrote the first press release. And then from that skill, you know, when I would be involved with local political campaigns like the NDP, which is like our version of Bernie Sanders, we hope, though not always that much. But I mean, the lefty, I, I remember I would get involved and I'd be like, hey, I'll write the press release and everybody would be like, the what now? So I always knew how to like engage media and all that. I learned that from that, but I never thought about applying it to a business. So one day, and it literally just occurred to me one day when I was about to make another you know, 20 call for something I don't care about. But hey, wait a minute, I could probably wait a minute, isn't that called a publicist? You know, when people get people in the media. And it literally occurred to me that I could, um, you know, just break that barrier for people, for, you know, whether it's creatives, whether it's whoever, that, you know, I could, you know, do what I, because I had gotten us basically, I forgot to say, on CNN, on MSNBC, on Court TV, on A&E, all that stuff as 28, 29-year-old activists talking about the death penalty from another country. So that ended up being really good messaging, which I hadn't thought of at the time. But when I thought of it later, wait a minute, I know how to access media. I have a history of doing it. I, I'd never talked about it. It was not like, you don't show your resume to the media to start sending out press releases. And they, there'd been a couple of years in between that. So thankfully, there wasn't like a direct co hey what death penalty girls all of a sudden sending me business releases by the there's years in between you know and i wonder now if i said something to texas did they ever remember <laughs> that <laughs> but so far i've never heard wait a minute weren't you the girl outside of the <laughs> and Amazing. my name stands out so so you are really well known for your 20-year campaign to free a man on death row this story fascinates me can you tell myself and the listeners the story because I think it's just amazing yeah it's it's pretty incredible it's even hard to like process it all now but yeah basically um we were 28 years old you know we were young activists and we you know it was the early days of the internet and we didn't have our radio show anymore which we used to have a little college radio show and we still wanted to have you know I guess in our head we were still information gathering and we still wanted to have a voice so my husband was learning to make a website and we just had like we were making on Netscape you could just add links in those days like making a medium page and we were just looking for interesting stuff to add we weren't looking at anything to do with the death penalty or death row or criminal that wasn't in our experience at all we were probably looking at anti- anti-racism stuff and somehow along the line we got to this and it turned out jimmy dennis had paid 20 bucks had given somebody you know 20 bucks to put him on the internet and he had said you know, I think it was a pen pal site, which we weren't really looking for, but again, it popped up and he was like, I'm not looking for pen pal. I'm not looking for a girlfriend. I'm not, looking, I'm literally, I just don't help. I'm innocent. And my husband and I were like, huh, how innocent can this guy be? And I don't know why we, you know, put pen to paper, actually wrote to death row other than 
we were again we had the radio show not long ago so in our heads we were still kind of information gathering even though we didn't have that platform anymore as well as being activists but then what happened is he wrote us a 20 and i said on one of the podcasts 18 pages but he corrected me it was actually 28 pages he wrote us a 28 pages letter on both sides with all, and plus he gave us all the legal documentation he had in the cell at the time so when someone does that what do you do now do we just say oh that was an interesting read awesome you know, we had to do something. So we figured, well, let's make a website. He hadn't even given us permission. We were naive enough not to even think about that and ramifications to put in legal stuff. But we put up, thankfully it was okay. We put up whatever he said. That's not all the letter, but I mean, you know, the information. And then um, we said like, hey, you have a website? I have a what now? <laughs> and, but now he had something that he could start sending out. So all the work he was doing, writing letters, he could now send them to place. Ultimately, we ended up gathering a little team from around the world, including Australia. Ended up being from like eight to 15 strong in terms of a little family that stick around for 20 years that he could call, that he could deal with. But, you know, we so we basically... And two years in, what we hoped would happen, because we couldn't do anything as young activists, what we hoped was somebody with power or money would come in. Two years in, a big legal team, which is like unicorns, it doesn't even happen, out of Washington, D.C., was actually looking for a pro bono case, a case of factual innocence, that they could do pro bono. And when, and then when they were asking around the country, they're out of Washington, he was in Pennsylvania, they started hearing Jimmy Dennis's name, which wouldn't happen a couple of years before that. That was because of all the work we had done putting it out there and the legal community was starting to pay attention to go, oh, gee, that case does. But so then all of a sudden they came in from there, they did their thing. And then they told us to stand down in terms of which normally happens in court when they're in the court, they don't want a lot of media noise. They want, you know, they want they know the judge to be saying, you're trying this in the media at that point, they're doing their thing. So we were just doing the other media. So that's where it was sort of the lull. And we were just doing our other work, doing all the Jimmy stuff, but not really making media noise. And that's where, you know, later on, I was like, wait a minute, I know how to do that media thing. I should. But yeah. And by the time Jimmy got out, so he came out in 27. We talk every almost every day still. He came out in 2017. Wow. And yeah. So that was after um, that was after. Uh, how many years again? So he'd been there for 25.5 years. 25.5 is the name of his coming album coming out. And we'd been involved for 19 years. So when we first wrote him, we were 28. When he got out, we were all 47. What was he on death row for, if you're allowed? So, yeah, he was factually innocent, right? And that's all been proven now. But the crime was, and it was a horrible crime, it was in the, in the city of Philadelphia when there was a lot of shootings, like um, just like gang-related shootings in the town. And there was a young girl named Shadell Williams. And this is all documented online. And people, you know, should really look into it. And there's, you can read the reams of the you know, information way better than I. But basically the case was a young girl named Shadell Williams. She was 17, a stranger to Jimmy, and was shot for her earrings. And he didn't fit the description not the height, not the weight, not the race, not the witness description. So right there from the very beginning, it was wrong. There's two guys. Where's the other guy? There was a car. Where's the car? All of a sudden, everything's changed. And long story short, he'd gone into the, you know, say, hey, I heard my money being dragged around. He had no, like, literally, he was like, choir boy kind of guy no you know like seriously and when he heard his name was being dragged around he did what you're supposed to do he went to the police station and somebody you know do they want to talk to me they said no no go home and from there it just got crazy so that's it's all on the record and how what happened but interestingly enough the two detectives that we've been saying for years and a lot, a lot of other prisoners and a lot of other cases were saying were the, were the corrupt core of this starting the way it began well literally this month and this happened in 1991 but this month in another high profile cases made noise in Pennsylvania like Jimmy's has case Anthony Wright those same two detectives along with another detective have been criminally charged for falsifying evidence against other prisoners by over 20 years on death row so so like 
right now. So this they're now criminally charged in one of the cases. It's clearly a pattern of behavior. I've never wanted to see somebody go to jail like that. I'm telling you, they've been putting people away in prison on death row who've died, who've died from lack of medical care, who've been executed, who've almost been executed, been traumatized for 25 years, who've been stolen from their family for I don't know what a little like point on their record you know and so that's you know we didn't even have we didn't even have that information last last month we would be telling the courts have proved that jimmy's innocent blah 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 and now again every day that goes by further information come out so now those two guys that literally were the beginning of a long chain of events that ended up having his life being stolen but they were literally the they were the the, the ones that started it and they could be pointed to as the ones that were specifically corrupt it was not a mistake it was you know corruption and lack of caring and now they're being held to account and i hope they will be in another case and that helps people clarify what happened to not just jimmy or anthony Wright, but probably to a whole bunch of people whose name we don't even know in there yeah that's an incredible story i remember reading a book by john grisham called the innocent man which was about i can't remember who the person was but it was about a man who was on death row and he was innocent as well i think it happens a lot Yep. Oh, yeah. They say, like, I think it's one out of seven statistically, and those are the ones that we've only heard about. If you think about that in anything else, like, yeah. if they said you can take an airplane, but one out of seven of them crash, would anybody be cool with that? No, yeah. but we're okay with one out of seven, you know, so we have some debt. Yeah. And I think a lot, too, in America doesn't really realize, which, you know, you understand in Britain, we understand in Canada and every other country in the world is the death penalty is not a normal thing. And it's funny, every time I watch the death penalty, people debate the death penalty in America, it's like they, they, they come from this position, like, is it right or is it wrong? But they don't seem to understand that it's something that the rest of the world has given up more than 50 years ago, 100 years ago, 50, 60, to really good effect. In Canada, in Britain, number one, we don't have mass, more killings because we don't have the death penalty. When we do have killings, people are punished. People don't feel, and the thing is, too, this is a good point, and then we'll leave the death penalty, but just while we're on it, people don't realize, you know, with the death penalty that only, you know, there's 4,000 4, people in America, for example, something like that have the death penalty, which is a big number because most of them you've never heard of. However, when you compare that to the number of murders in America, it's a minute number. So what people don't understand is primarily what the death penalty is used for is not for the worst crimes. It's not the big serial killers on there. It's a bargaining chip that they use to scare people so they don't go to trial and they plead guilty and stuff. And so this is why you get a lot of people being innocent more so than you do doing life. Because if someone says to you and you're guilty, hey, let's do a deal and then we're not going to go for the death penalty. You'll do 15 years, you'll be out. You're going to be like, okay. Fuck, gotta get the death penalty. Awesome, you know. But if you're innocent, we're like Jimmy Dennis, and they're like, "Hey, sign here. You're just gonna do 20 years in life. We're gonna take your whole life. You're gonna be stolen from your family, but you know you're not gonna go to trial or anything. Just sign here. We're gonna put you in jail." Uh, what? I, I, I didn't do. I didn't do it. No, no. You're gonna fight and fight and fight, and then they're gonna put. You're gonna realize what the state can do, how little they care, the power of the state against you. You don't want to believe that, but I've seen it time and time again. It's not that, you know, necessarily the whole system's wrong, but just takes one person in the wheel to do the wrong thing. Or, And I've even seen things like people get the death penalty or don't get the death penalty, not based on who the best one or who the worst one is or whatever. But there was a woman who left the DA's office in Texas when she worked there because they literally came to her office with like two files like this and they threw them on her desk and were like, there you go, whoever your name is, whatever her name was, right? There's two cases. Pick one of them, going to get the death penalty. We need one of them to do the death penalty. Go pick one. So when you realize this is the kind of thing you're dealing with, you realize, well, that's not what most people of of thought would want to would, would think that it even is, right? So anyway, long lecture. I didn't mean to even go there. No, but that's no, why we got so passionate about it, right? It's so interesting, and what a 
like what a thing to achieve like I can't imagine the sense of achievement you must have felt to to free him well I don't even know if it was achievement so much it's feeling it just I mean, we were all I mean we've been through the ringer so many times by then and it was just cry we were literally I burst into tears like in a movie and I laughed and I cried and we were just like hey when he called from outside and literally said he was out in the lawyer's car driving away it was not even like the, you know, I can't even describe it it was like yeah. ridiculous you know you just like <laughs> you don't even realize it when they say you laughed and cried at the same time yeah that can be a real thing. <laughs> well, I think it's amazing. So let's switch gears and talk about your work as a publicist. You're an international award-winning publicist, and you're also the founder of Lamori Media. You have won a number of awards, and you're also an author. Tell me all of that stuff. Yeah, so so the Lamori Media, yeah, so that founded, I firstly, so when it hit me that, you know, I should do this media thing, I started as um, a freelancer first, now it's 10 years ago, I did that for about four years, and then we started a general partnership, which is like a sole proprietorship between myself and my husband, Dave Parkinson, who does the back end and the financials, some of the work, and other, and the um, film and all that kind of stuff, and um, and then we incorporated during COVID because we kept on getting bigger and bigger clients on a global level. And my business consultant, Jane McCormick, shout out to McCormick Consulting because honestly, everyone has something they don't know. And like, I didn't know the back end stuff. And she went in line to be like, no, do this, do this, do this. And then we incorporated a year ago, best thing we could have done. And even in the middle of COVID, I, now I know even an international pandemic apparently can't get me down as long as I can work all these hours a day. So yeah, so, in, you know, I've been, you know, doing for myself, basically what I've been doing for my clients, which is building my global leadership uh, reputation by doing interviews and talking about what I know and, you know, and all that stuff. So now, and I work with, I've, because I've gotten those awards, I work with a lot of power women now who come to me from the women of inspiration stuff, or, you know, they want to elevate their own brands. And I've been on everything from Ticker TV in Australia to NBC TV in California to all points in between media and divide or wherever else. And just talking to people about how, to get out to how to break that media barrier, how to build their brand, but by using, you know, free media opportunities and, you know, and or hiring a publicist to navigate those media opportunities and find them for you and place them for you. But it's not, play, you're not buying ads. It's the difference where, you know, you literally are building your reputation by being quoted in big name magazines, big name newspapers, TV, podcasts, like yourself on a global level. And so when people search your name, they see, you know, that leadership that you can say that on your page and on your socials, but, you know, if you're going for startup funding or you're trying to differentiate yourself from your competitor or just get new customers and it just really helps people choose you essentially and get comfortable with who you are and want to work with you. Yeah. So for people who don't know what a publicist does, could you give a bit of background? Like, I guess, I think people think that you know, it's just for people, media just people, people or something. Yeah, exactly. No, more and more these days, especially you've all heard the term, you know, um, thought leadership, right? And so as an entrepreneur, no matter what, you know, not even necessarily an entrepreneur, an entrepreneur, a corporate executive, uh, whoever it is, no matter what you do, no matter who you are, there are media opportunities for you to share your expertise. So there's, you've heard of press releases where you put out a press release, companies doing this, blah, blah, blah. But then every day there's also incoming 
things, just like there's services where, you know, podcasts match up with potential guests. There's also incoming services where people will be like, oh, for an article I'm writing for Reader's Digest or Good Housekeeping with a deadline of Thursday at four, I'm looking to speak to moms who can talk about having trouble putting their kids to sleep, looking to speak to entrepreneurs who've gone through COVID, looking to speak to businesses who are finding having trouble finding remote workers, looking to speak to literally everything you can think of if you start monitoring those. So I, I monitor those things all day for all my clients, find them opportunities, get their quotes, frame them in a compelling way, get them off. And then the next thing you know, oh, your client's going to be in good housekeeping. Oh, your client's going to be on NBC. Your client's going to be, yesterday, Fox TV out of Kansas City messaged me. They're doing a new morning show in that, you know, just one region, it's Fox TV. Sometimes they pick that up nationally and it's their morning show. So it's not the news, you know, I'm not really a big fan of Fox News, but it's their morning show. And it's, you know, just like light fashion, beauty, whatever stuff. And I pitched her a story and she said, oh, do you have any other clients? I'm like, oh my God, I've got like 30. And now she's literally asking me to pitch your other clients. So any clients she picks are going to get major visibility on Fox TV because of that connection I have. And this is how the stories get out. It's not that reporters don't go far and wide looking for the best person to do this or the best person. They have people in their Rolodexes or their pitch stories from publicists or people who know how to navigate the media. And that's how you get quoted you know, in these media. So people come to me who've never been in any media before. And the next day, one example, 26 year old, I talked about on podcast, Christopher Alvarez was a 26 year old um, life coach, like a lot of life coaches. But I mean, great story and really good at what she does, but nothing much to differentiate her on paper from anybody else. So she thought if I start telling my story. So she thought she would start telling her story of living life successfully with bipolar and how she did that. And then she does when she came to me, I gave her a crazy good deal because she just, you know, went one single person, you, you good story and whatever. And then literally the next day, I got an opportunity for Good Housekeeping magazine, yeah. one of the most famous, you know, it right, 150 year old magazine on literally every checkout counter in the world. And they put her in the print issue. In a, they didn't put a, print, a cover on the picture of the cover, but the story was on the cover. I'm not my mental illness. So now for the last two years, she hires me every month because every month we get her more media, partly just on the strength of that. Amazing. So now she's been in a million more things. So now she can successfully say, not only do I live successfully through bipolar, but she said the other day, it's my superpower. I, I thought it was something that would people not take me seriously. Now I learned my superpower because I spoke out about it and I strengthened other people as a result and even built my business on it. Who would have thought something that she was ashamed of, but she thought, no, I'm going to speak about that. And people wanted to hear that. Yeah, that's amazing. I know some, you know, for myself trying to build my brand it's tough to even know where to start and I think you think that publicists are just for celebrities yeah exactly but nope absolutely not like I said I, I you know 30 percent of my work is with the high profile celebrities movies tv all that kind of stuff and a good 50 percent now probably increasingly more so because I've been doing all these podcasts aimed at business audiences are startups small businesses and I don't actually like working with big companies I don't mind the Hollywood stuff it's different you're still dealing with a director or, but the big companies where it's like a boardroom of people that's not effective i want to have a person where they're building their dream they're an expert in something and you know when i find these media opportunities i'm like hey here you go this is a you know speak on this and they're excited about it because they're built so i find that the entrepreneurs and the startups are just as fun actually as the film projects and the creative stuff there's a whole world there of people that are you know passionately building whatever whether it's a little business and they're an expert in you know gardening there's a whole bunch of media opportunities for that we're having fun getting them and this and then that and the other or they're an innovator building something that needs global recognition so they can get global awards and we take and we do all end up doing all that too so literally i 
literally, you know, if anybody's hearing this and going, yeah, but not me, honestly, call and tell me you saw me on Neon Woman. We'll do a half an hour consult. And I'll tell you, like, if you have a book or you have a story that you want to get out there or you have a business or you have an expertise in gardening, whatever it is that you do, I'll tell you how to frame yourself as an expert and how we can get media about it. Yeah, it's amazing. So you're also an author. You have a book called Get Repped, Build Your Brand with Effective Public and Media Relations. Mm-hmm. And basically, it's funny. They asked me, one of my clients who ended up starting a publishing company asked me to write the book on PR because we'd made her previous book a business bestseller, which she partly credited to me. So I wrote the book. I'm almost done now. I pulled it back to finish it, you know, out a few things that we all learned in the crazy media world of 2020. <laughs> and, um, uh, but basically, yeah, so it's coming out on Propriety Press and it's essentially the same audience as these, you know, 150 of the 200 podcasts I've been talking to, which are entrepreneurs, small business, but really they asked me to speak to that audience. It's really for anybody who wants to break the media barrier, talking to the, the small guy, you know, so it's framed like for a business audience, but really it's not for corporate. It's for an individual who wants to you know, understand how the media works, when you shouldn't get a publicist, or if you don't need to or can't, how do you, what do you do? Uh, some first steps you can do, what are them on your own? And when you take those steps, what are some pitfalls? Nothing, you don't do it, but what are some things you do before you press send on that media release? What are the urgent things to make sure you've done? What not to do? Editorial versus advertorial, which is really important for people to understand before they start hitting the newsrooms. So I basically talk about what you need, you know, break down some of what I do, or, you know, like about what you can do, how to break the depth, you know, into media, basically. Yeah, awesome. So I guess the last question I'll ask before we go on to the Neon Woman questions is what's something you're most proud of from your whole career? Um, I, if, if you said career, then this is pre-career. I mean, Jimmy Dennis, I guess, is what, you know, if you said, include for, for sure. I mean, that's just my whole life. I'm just happy to have been involved with that and proud that I spent my 20s and 30s any part of that. Uh, but in terms of career, because, you know, I don't really consider the career part, though, it segued to that. But in terms of career, just building this, when I started this company and had that brainstorming idea of, you know, being a, a freelance publicist myself, it was literally on a, a desktop computer in a corner in a rented apartment when things weren't going well. And we literally had all this stuff in storage and we're like and I thought no and all I literally had like I probably had to borrow no lie I probably had to borrow 20 bucks from my friend that week but I had the internet and I had the computer and I had my brain and the strategy and all the magic that's on the interwebs that we all have no matter how things are you know bad things are you can go to the library you can figure it out if you can communicate and put words together you can find someone out there you know so, you know what I mean so anyway mm. that just have you know, the understanding that we have, you know, all, we have, we don't need to have all the resources. I didn't know a bunch of celebrities then. I, I wasn't a publicist then. I didn't have all those fancy things to put under my name at all. I just said, well, you know what, this is what I can do. And I did a couple of things over there, but they weren't things that you'd put on your resume because it was pretty controversial. When I started my company, Jimmy Dennis was still on death row. So while some people who knew about it would go, yeah, that's great work. It's a horrible case. Most people would be like death penalty. What prisoner? It's not something you're going to be. It wasn't until he's freed and Rolling Stone magazine is talking about how we help free him. And now everyone's like, oh, my God, you're epically heroic. OK. But, you know, for years we would just say, yeah, OK, sure, with the death penalty. You know, so when, yeah. when I started doing my thing, it wasn't like I was going to say, look me up for all my fine work on CNN advocating for the class. So I didn't even mention that. I just said I'd done press releases. If they Googled me, it was there. But I wasn't 
wasn't like I had a, a clear trajectory. It doesn't matter what you have. I literally had the computer, the laptop, and, you know, oh, my God, what am I going to do now? You know what? I'm not going to do that. And in 10 years, that was literally almost a decade ago, I flipped everything around so much that I'm like, like you said, international, global, award-winning, VIP trips, this and that. I was just an activist, a telemarketer that was helping a guy on death row. So really, I haven't gone to school for any of this. So you could figure it out. Have faith in yourself and then tell the world what you can do. Absolutely. Yeah. And follow it up with actually doing it. <laughs> <Yes>. <clears throat> so I want to get into the neon woman questions, which I ask everyone who come on the podcast. Okay. So I created an acronym from the word woman about okay. what I think being a woman encompasses, which okay. is love, fashion, mindset, travel, and a healthy lifestyle. And I see love as wild, fashion as original, your mindset as magnificent, travel is adventurous, and a healthy lifestyle is necessary. First of all, new question for season two, <clears throat> which is what is the one song you want you play when you want to brighten your neon colors? So, like, just a lot of old stuff, like, you know, like the obvious Start Me Up, the Rolling Stones. If that comes on the radio, I wouldn't go choose it and say, I'm going to play it to ramp myself up. But if that came on the radio, I would turn that up and sing it loud and go, Start Me Up. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then I would feel ramped up. So, in that way, something like that, like, if it comes on, you'll, be, you'll get into it and be like, Yeah, there's probably a bunch like that that I'm not thinking of offhand, you know? Awesome. Well, I'm but, creating a playlist for season two. So, I'm asking everyone. And oh, cool. I'll choose a particular <laughs> song that they say and I'll add it. To I the like list. it. That's really cool. <laughs> what about love is wild to you? Um, what about love is wild? Uh, it's, it's unpredictable. I mean, you can't pick it how it happens. And then, I mean, obviously, and, and you've, oh, and also you've got it, but you do have to, if you want to maintain it, you have to, you know, have some kind of strategy to make it grow in your yard or whatever so it's wild but you can you know you can with the right freedom with the right you know get, by giving it what it needs and all that you can keep it for a long time i like that <laughs> what about your fashion sense is original oh i'm known for the we, we always joke is it obsession or is it um is it style? It's red and black. I'm known for the red, primarily red. And usually I've got gray right now, but normally this is bright red. And then this is red and the nails are red. You know, so I'm known for the red and black. Amazing. Obsessively so. <laughs> <laughs> what do you do to keep your mindset magnificent? Um, keep succeeding. And the way I keep doing that is by just keep on doing, you know, just do it. Keep on believing and keep on doing things. And seat on you know grab onto opportunities and you'd be surprised how many new things open up and yeah you keep on you know like i literally posted on monday is, there, is am i the only one who's excited to wake up and check my email inbox at work in the morning people are like and i'm like seriously though there's always good stuff in there <laughs> hey if you love what you do that much that's the thing and you start that starts to generate that you know because even better cooler things will happen when you when you do absolutely where is the most adventurous place you've traveled to? Um, 
so when I was 21, I was in Prague, Czechoslovakia, when it was still, it still had the Soviet soldiers in. They were on their way out, but they were marching still two by two. Didn't understand a word of anything. We had no idea where we were. We were 21, ah, whatever. Um, and then more recently, that was probably the most adventurous, but then more recently in terms of just interesting looking, I was able to go on a business trip to Malta in the Mediterranean, uh-huh. which is right under Sicily. And one big city was like a big party city, whatever. But then the other place we went to, that I've never been to the Middle East, where I wanted to go. And it almost looked like, you know, the way the streets were a little, it was because they're not far from Egypt. And when you went into one city, Medina, which is even in the Bible and stuff, it, it's literally like the Middle East. And so that was really neat to experience that. I would like to stay there longer and to go, you know, Easter. I would like to go on more East, you Amazing. know, to, um, to Egypt and stuff. Yeah. What is necessary to you to have a healthy lifestyle? And I say healthy in quotes because... It can mean different things. Um, well, I think I, I know I'm starting to have, I've been ignoring all that stuff. I think what's necessary now is to have more focus on the actual healthy aspect of what you're eating, how often you're eating. Cause I was never eating. I'm always sitting at my desk, eat once a day, then eat the exact wrong thing. And, you know, I really, it's the track to diabetes apparently. So I got to start being more conscious because I can't always be in here if the body breaks down, you know, so on that note. Yeah. yeah. So that, sorry, I was, well, I was thinking about being thirsty. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a good answer. And then which woman or women are inspirational to you? They can be famous or non-famous. Oh, so literally, literally so many of the people I meet every single day, like new clients, I'm not just saying clients, then they come to me and they tell me their stories. And I'm like, wow. Like the other day I met this woman named Nyla Khan. She's a client now, but I'm not, I mean, I could be naming a million clients. And that's why I was doing it. And I will, I could name a bunch of them, but comes to mind right now. She's like 27 years old. She founded a company in Dubai at 24 years old. It's education based. And now she's a 27 year old multimillionaire who's doing international stuff. Like now she's going to Africa. Now she's going to other, being able to, she's heart centered doing stuff that's, you know, from things that happened in her past, she just was able to like build it up to this from whatever. And now she's doing these amazing things. I'm working with a lady called Rachel in the UK who um, started an org called the Center of Peace and Education. This is a couple of weeks ago because before everything started to be big news in Afghanistan again, it was already, you know, percolating. And she was working with Fazia Kufi, who people Google her. She was one of Afghanistan's first MPs. And, you know, like she, she was negotiating recently, trying to get women to be able to educate or whatever, not everything falling apart before the Taliban took over again. But now, now they're trying to airlift her out, <laughs> you wow. know? So, yeah. So people like literally like doing stuff like that to a woman that I met yesterday in, in America um, called Trice that just hired me, but she's like, I, I was like, she hired me. I'm like, that's great. Then I went to the website. I'm like, oh my God, they're like an impact investor, which I'm not a financial girl. So I didn't know much about that, but they literally have a gender focused impact investor where their thing is like by 2036, they want however many girls, millions of girls around the world educated. They're putting money into this and that. And I'm just like, hold up. I thought it was just a finance, you know? So every day I'm literally meeting women now, again, you know, from wherever, from all over the world that are doing these epic, things on major scale oh yeah yesterday black woman founder of a construction company in toronto company was founded a year ago how rare is that black and woman right and she beat out 200 companies in toronto companies a year and a half old 200 companies in toronto for a major contract and plus she so like i'm literally like I meet these women that are just literally blazing trails. They're not even getting media. That's why someone says, oh, you know, you should get the media. And they come to me and we start talking about it. But I mean, this is the kind of thing that, so I'm seeing every day women 
you know, and just doing things like amazing things, crazy things on a global level. So yeah. all of them, those people. <laughs> it's amazing, like how many women around the world are doing such incredible things. It really is, yeah. So, Tracy, what's next for you? Like, what are your upcoming projects? Where can people connect with you? Where can they get your book? Um, so they can find me, and like I said, if anybody finds any of this um, interesting, then find me at what is it, lamoriemedia.com. That's L-A-M-O-U-R-I-E media.com. And you'll put that in the show notes. Um, or you can find me on Instagram, Tracy Lamori PR Media. On LinkedIn is a great place, Tracy Lamori. Connect with me. Um, you know, Beverly Hills phone number 424-444-8052 or Toronto 289-788-5881. And people can connect with me again. Say they've signed me here. We'll happily do a three, 30 minute free consultation so I can really see, well, could I get them in media? And I don't take anybody's money unless I know right after that I can get them in this, this, and this. And then the rest of the month, you know, we're looking at all the opportunities and see what comes our way. But yeah, so if you, you know, I always say if you have a marketing or an advertising budget, stop it for a month and put a little bit of it into PR. If you don't, at least learn some of these tricks and, you know, things and get your mind around thinking about yourself as a source and being ready to put yourself out there. And it's, you know, it's not that hard. It's not, it's a little bit out of some people's confidence, but it really, there's written opportunities where you never have to talk to a reporter. You never have to get in print, you know, you never have to get, sorry, on in front of a someone's face. So there's a lot of opportunity, whatever your comfort level is to let the world know what you're doing. That's how you get the awards. That's how you get on the stages and build your brand, have people knocking down your door instead of you trying to sell yourself to them. Yeah, amazing. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. This was really interesting and inspiring. And yeah, I just loved it. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I'm glad we finally connected. Thank you for listening to the Neon Woman podcast. Neon Woman was produced by me, Chloe, and Neon Network Production. Make sure to follow us on Instagram or check out neonwoman.com for all the latest episodes, blog posts and more.